I got to enter myself into the show, right? <laughs> Welcome. Good morning, everybody. I uh, hope you guys are doing a great, having a great day. I'm Daniel. This is the Drunk Turkey Show. It'll be just me uh, today. Let me know in the live chat if you guys can uh, can hear me all right. Um, I think it's sounding okay, though. Uh, hit that like and subscribe if you guys aren't already done so. So today we're going to be talking about some court documents that were just um, released and the Brian Koberger case kind of go through them. One of them was a uh, motion to dismiss. Uh, we'll be going through that motion as well. Um, is it something that's real? Is it a smoke screen? Is it, is it more um, of an attempt to create reasonable doubt? We'll, we'll try to answer those questions. Uh, let's kind of get into this. I want to say thank you and good morning to everybody in the live chat. All 142, 152 of you guys has jumped up. Uh, Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's do this. Share screen, entire screen. All right, it's working. It's working. That's a good sign, right? I've been having some issues on my computer lately. I'm glad that it's working. All righty, so let's look at the. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> yeah, let's go to the one that everybody wants to hear first, right? Well, yeah. let's go to the one of the uh, the smaller ones first, and we'll take on the bigger one last. We'll go in order from the shortest to the longest. So this one, you know, I, I've kind of skimmed through majority of the uh, documents that have come out. I haven't read through all of them, um, every single word or any of those things. There's quite a quite a bit, you know, from um, the last time that I looked at this, which was I think the last thing that I had seen was the uh, July 24th um, uh, documents that were put in. So since then. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, fourteen different documents that have shown up on here. Um, one of them is, like I mentioned, the uh, motion to dismiss and some other things. And so, let's go through this one. This one is the um, motion to temporary seal. Uh, seal exhibits one and two of the state's response to defendants' five and six supplemental requests for discovery. Uh, this one states that the state of Idaho by and through the Latal County prosecuting attorney uh, respectfully moves the court pursuant to Idaho court administrative rule and for a temporary order seal exhibits one and two attached to the state's response to defendants fifth and sixth supplement requests for discovery herein because related release or disclose would one interfere with law enforcement proceedings uh, to deprive a person of right of fair trial and or impartial adjudication three constitute an unwarranted invasion of personal privacy three disclose the identity of confidential source and or number four disclose investigative techniques and procedures and so what i think that this is all referencing to is the genetic tree um i'm pretty 100 positive all of this is referencing the genetic tree they don't want to disclose their investigative techniques and procedures that's from the fbi and how they you know created the genetic tree they don't want to disclose the identity of a confidential source well all of those uh, individuals that they use to build that tree are what i understand confidential sources um uh, for this instance and so um it's not somebody who ratted out Koberger or uh, pointed the finger at Koberger. it is in my opinion and again, I do want to emphasize, and I'll put this up there. Let me put this up there. Uh, that 
this complete theory, opinion, and speculation. Um, these are, I'm not an attorney, never was, and uh, this is just me reading through these and trying to understand them to the best of my ability. And so um, the identity of the confidential source, that tells me that that's all <clears throat> 100%. Everything has to do with that genetic tree. Uh, an invasion of privacy or personal privacy that those people who were used to create the tree, I think this is what that is referencing to. Um, throwing out there how they discovered you know, more information. I think it's a double-edged sword. You know, here they're saying that it could deprive a person of a right to a fair trial or an impartial adjudication. However, if we go and look at like, for instance, the Rex Humerman case, uh, in that situation, law enforcement is super open about that. They've put out a lot of information. Now, I don't find it coincidental that in Koberger and in the, um, you know, Rex Humerman case that they uh, supposedly the vehicle, you know, was the uh, the avenue in which led law enforcement to the to the person of interest. Right. And so if you go through the Rex Humerman case, they talk about his avalanche and his avalanche being what was seen. And and that was the reason why they started to investigate and follow him. And I, I, there's so many people that have those type of vehicles. The avalanche wasn't the limited uh, productive vehicle, things like that. So I would assume there would be tons of people in the area that would have that type of vehicle. And that wouldn't be, you know, just the sole reason to investigate somebody. You know, I, I strongly suspect that they utilized one of these, um, you know, genetic tree uh, type of um, investigations to figure out who, you know, Rex Humerman was. You know, he had DNA left at the scene, hair and things of that nature. Uh, and also a big clue. And it comes from the state. I should have pulled it up. Um, maybe before we uh, end the show, I, I'll look for it and see if I can find it. Uh, but we talked about this in one of our previous shows where the FBI cannot utilize that um, technique, right? The genetic profile, the genetic tree profile tree. They can't utilize that technique. Unless law enforcement um, basically comes forward stating that all traditional law enforcement techniques or, or investigative techniques have been exhausted and there is no lead. And to determine a lead, they, they, that is the only time, according to the FBI procedures, that FBI can get involved and conduct a genealogical tree, right? A gen genetic tree, which means that if they can't get involved and the only sole purpose is if there's no lead, then that indicates that. The state didn't have a lead. They didn't know who he was. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, they had his name on November 29th. They had his car. Uh, yeah, they did. But that doesn't mean they looked at him as a suspect. And the way this case has worked out, in my opinion, they got his name and then they had to build a case. And the first way you start by building the case is saying, hey, we have video of a white Elantra in the area. This person drives a white Elantra. And so that's what started our case to look into him. Come to find out um, we have a witness to the crime. They state that they see a person matching, uh, you know, with a certain height, weight and bushy eyebrows. And this person matches that description as vague as it is. The parts that she is able to identify um, this person carries those traits. And so it doesn't necessarily mean it's 100 percent him or any of those things, but you cannot exclude him based off of those things. 
for instance, had she said, you know, he had a tattoo on his face or, or something like that, then, you know, you can, you can exclude Koberger as a possible suspect uh, based on that description, you know? And so, uh, you know, that's where I, I see, I take that into perspective. Um, you have those things and then you continue to build the case. You go get a warrant for cell phone pings, come to find out, or his, uh, I shouldn't say cell phone pings because it's not his cell phone pings. It's historical data. And you look for, um, you know, his phone activity for the night of the incident. And you come to find out that his phone was off during the time of the incident. It was on just before, off afterwards. And you start to build your case. And, you know, I think that's what they've done in this situation. But, you know, kind of go full circle and get back to what I was talking about. You know, I I don't think that Rex Humerman is not going to get a fair trial because a lot of the information is out there. You know, um, as long as the information that is out there is true, I think that's a, that's a big, big piece, though, right? You know, a lot of the information that we know about in the Koberger case is speculation. And that's the only thing that's able to come out. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this gag order is so tight. Because if this gag order wasn't so tight, I don't think there would be room for much speculation. Plus, we would, you know, as long as the information that's coming out is true, you know, these are, this is information that's going to come out in trial. It's, it's for the most part, right? We got to, you know, we got to find out to see if Ann Taylor can get any of these things you know, thrown out. We'll see. Based on the motions, it doesn't, I don't know. We'll go through them. Let's see. Uh, but that's this piece of document. I hope everybody, uh, this all makes sense. Yes, please hit the like button. I appreciate it. Thank you. Anomalies uh, and the real deal. Let's see. Uh, now, forgive me if I'm not looking too far into the uh, comment section. Um, I will try my best to keep up with it. So let's uh, continue. I'm going to close this one. Uh, this next one is the motion to compel notice of defense of alibi or alternative, uh, alternatively to bar certain evidence. Now, this is interesting. Um, you know, I'll read through it and then I'll kind of give you guys my idea. So it comes now the state of Idaho by and through the Latal County prosecuting attorney and respectfully moves the court for an order compelling the defense to comply in full with Idaho code and provide the state with notice of any alibi that may be offered herein said notice to include the specific place and places at which the defendant claims to have been at the time of the burglary and homicide in this case, and the names and addresses of all witnesses upon the defendant intends to rely and establish as such as a witness. There's such alibi, I'm sorry. As the court File reflects the state filed its request for discovery disclosure alibi demand on May 23rd, 2023 and served the defense on that same day. The party subsequently stipulated to extend the statutory time for the defendant to provide notice of alibi to comply with the Idaho code. On July 24, 2023, the defendant filed a notice of the defendant's response to the alibi's demand to a state's alibi demand. The document does not comply with the requirements of Idaho code in that it does not specify a place or places at which the defendant claims to have been at the time of the offense herein. And does not it provide names and addresses, nor does it provide names or addresses of witnesses upon whom the defendant intends to to rely. The state recognizes the defendant has a Sixth Amendment, Amendment constitutional right to call witnesses of his or her defense, State versus Juarez. However, as noted in both of these cited cases, the defendant's right to call witnesses in his or her defense 
is not fettered, fettered and the state has legitimate interest in obtaining timely and compelling discovery response from the defendant. As, as the Juarez court also observed, if requested by the state during discovery, a defendant intended to offer an alibi must file notice where the defendant claims to have been at the time of the alleged offense and names of the addresses of the witnesses whose testimony will support the defense's alibi. As evidenced by the defendant, July 24, 2023, the, the notice of defendant's response to the state's alibi defend, the defendant has failed to comply in any fashion with the requirements to the statute, court rule, and applicable case law. It is important to note that the scheduled October 2nd, 2023 jury trial is barely more than two months away. If the defendant intends to rely on an alibi, it is essential that they be required to provide prompt notice so that the state can fulfill its obligation under Idaho code to investigate and respond to the notice of alibi. Any further delays will substantially prejudice the state's right. Similar to the situation in Juarez, the state has no idea how the defendant's notice regarding an alibi constitutes an alibi and an observed above the state is unable to comply with Idaho code because based on the lack of information in this case. We don't know how this is an alibi for all. The state also knows that the state. Um, here we go. All right. So <clears throat> basically what they're saying is that they don't agree with the alibi that Coburger um, had provided, basically saying that he intends to possibly give an alibi during court, during cross-examination of state witnesses. Um, and the state is saying that's not an alibi. And the reason why they're doing this, there's a few reasons. One, if you guys recall in the Alex Murdoch case, uh, there was evidence that he was near the dog kennel and, you know, he wasn't aware that the state had that evidence when he was given, you know, or, or it appears he wasn't aware, at least that he he was aware of that evidence when he gave his alibi. Right. And the courts were able to prove that he was lying based off of those things. Right. Now, what what it appears is that Koberger doesn't want to give an alibi on two reasons. One. He wants to have, you know, all the evidence and everything that's being used against him explained and understood and knows how wants to know how the prosecution is intending on using that evidence, which is not a preview to discovery. You're only you're only preview to the evidence that's used against you, not how the, the state intends on using the evidence against you, if that makes sense. So, for instance, if you had like a, a DWIRS and you had a. Uh, you know, breath, uh, a breath alcohol concentration tool, a breathalyzer, and, you know, you, you test the person and they come back above 0.08, right? Well, obviously, they're going to use that um, evidence as an indication of the blood alcohol concentration in the person's breath and blood, but um, they don't necessarily have to disclose that's how they're using it. It's just obvious in the manner that they do. And so, they just have to give those results as far as, hey, this is what it was, right? That doesn't necessarily indicate that the person was drunk or any of those things. Or, I mean, it does. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were intoxicated above uh, operating a vehicle. Some people can handle a certain blood alcohol level. But typically, you know, if you're above 0.08, conviction rate is pretty dang high. I think it's like over 90%. So, you know, some people do have some fancy ass lawyers they get things thrown out so nothing's 100 percent, right so well anyways in this situation here um it appears that one coburger doesn't want to give an alibi until he is in trial which would 
affect the state's ability to investigate said alibi, right? So let's just say he says that, you know, hey, I was going for a drive and I went two cities north of, of Moscow and, um, you know, I came back down and I just so happened to turn my phone on when I passed Moscow, right? And I was 10 miles south. And they wait till trial, then the state can't investigate that. If they know that now, then they can go back and they can pull, you know, surveillance from, you know, street traffic cams and things of that nature in the two towns that he states he was at and will able to verify or, you know, or, or, or show that he's lying, um, whether or not he went to those places. And so it's, it's a tactic by the defense, but by doing this type of tactic, it doesn't necessarily show innocence. To me, it does the opposite. To me, it shows that uh, guilt. You know, if you're trying to pull a fast one, like, hey, we don't want to tell you what, you know, my alibi is, so you can't investigate what the alibi is. And, you know, I want to be able to fit my alibi to the evidence that you have against me. Um, so I, I want all the evidence and how you plan on using that evidence against me. It's just not how that works. Cause then you, you'll end up finding a situation where like, for instance, Murdoch came up with a pretty interesting story there in his court case uh, that explained somewhat why he was there, why he was at the dog kennels, things of that nature. You know, had he done that to begin with, you know, maybe perhaps, um, he would not have been found guilty, you know, but the fact that he lied about it, lied about being out there showed that, you know, that was huge against his case. And so, you know, they're not going to allow Koberger to get away with something like that. Let's see. We have a $2 super chat from Mikey <laughs> for a QB and an offensive line fund. <laughs> hey man, don't be surprised, man. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to do something. They sure are, man. I've got a good feeling about this year. I got a good feeling about this year. Yeah. But that's what I think when it comes to the, uh, you know, this alibi thing. I think that it looks, it makes Koberger, in my opinion, and I'm not trying to say that my opinion is above anybody else's or any of those things. But in my opinion, to me, it makes it appear that he's more uh, guilty. You know, for me, I just don't see, like, if there's some, if, if, I don't see a person who's innocent saying, you know what, I have this, you know, exculpatory evidence that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's going to exonerate me, right? Because those are the terms that he used. Those are the terms he used, right? Exonerate me the whole nine yards, right? I, I, I don't I don't see what's like, he's like, all right, I'm going to just sit in jail, wait till court, pull this fast one. Hell no, man. You're going to take a risk on that? I, I, your life is at risk. This is a death penalty case. I think you would be throwing the evidence out there and saying, look, this is where I was at. This is who I was with. I was not there. Get me out of jail today. You know, even if, you know, that process isn't going to happen in a day, but, you know, there would be motions. There would be a lot of things that we'd be going through and motions to dismiss the case, not motions to dismiss, you know, the, um, the indictment. And so, I don't know. To me, you guys let me know in, in the in the comment section. Put a one if the alibi tactic that Koberger used, in your opinion, does it does it work in his favor? 
Put a one if you think that it, it helps him. Put a two if you think it makes him look a little bit more guilty. I want to know what you guys think. So we have so far a one. It works in his favor. The a lot of ones. Well, we have three ones. Oh, there's the twos. <laughs> I was getting kind of worried there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's, it seems about split, though. You know, at this point, though, to be honest with you, all of these motions that go back and forth from the state execution, in my opinion, you know, these are these are just tactics on both sides, on both sides. One point five. I like that one. <laughs> it's like, uh, could be, could be not. I don't know. I just don't like this tactic, to be honest. With you. I've never seen it before. I've never seen it work. I've never seen anybody say, you know, um, but then again, also, I'm not like a, uh, I don't know much about a lot of cases that are out there. In fact, I didn't, <laughs> there are a lot of cases that are recent that Kylie Rodney, everybody knows about. I have, I have no idea what's going on in that case. I don't know the details. Alex Murdoch didn't know until we started talking about true crime. So, you know, I, I understand my ignorance is there, but let me know. Is there a case where you guys have ever seen somebody, Stand silent, um, not give an alibi, come out innocent or exonerated or whatever the case may be. I, I, I just can't think of one off the top of my head. You know, it just doesn't 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 those things don't make sense to me. Now, I understand why he's standing silent, you know, before everybody starts jumping down my neck. You know, I get it. He um, and it kind of goes into the uh, the motion that we have here doesn't agree with the indictment. He, um, he is basically, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's um, protesting the indictment by not saying guilty or not guilty, understanding that by standing silent that a plea to not guilty would, would be in there. I'm, I, I actually think that it's, you know, it's kind of smart put in the fact that how they plan on attacking this case but the plan of attack isn't one that's saying I'm innocent. It's more of like law enforcement screwed up, so let me go. You know what I mean? And I don't like that tactic because that tactic doesn't doesn't scream innocence. It screams get me off on a technicality. You get what I'm saying? And those things are what what concern me about this case as far as like, yeah, you know, there are some holes and stuff like that, but you know. Is it come to the point where people are rooting for, you know, they really truly think that there's an innocent man out there in jail or is it, you know, they really wanting somebody to get off on a technicality because they're against the police department or law enforcement? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, I, I and I completely understand, you know, innocent until proven guilty. And I'm 100 uh, percent understand that there are people who have been accused or even people who have pled guilty to things that they didn't do. Uh, I understand that. I just don't think that's the case in this situation. We have a $10 super chat from Shay. Great coverage. Oh, man. <laughs> About them boys. We'll see. We'll see. I love the fact that everybody here has their own, you know, favorite football team. and We can all get along and put little, 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 little things here, here and there about it. Well, let's go over this motion to, um, 
Motion to dismiss. Let's look into this. All right. It's motion to dismiss indictment on grounds of error in grand jury instructions or in the alternative remand for preliminary hearing. So they're trying to get back to a preliminary hearing. You know, give. Here's the thing, though. Why do they want a preliminary hearing? I don't I don't think it's going to work in their favor, to be honest with you. I think it's a tactic to prolong the speedy trial stuff. There's been a few things here and the state has kind of caught on to it, to be honest with you. And they have said, you can't have your, your cake and eat it too. You can't ask for a speedy trial and then ask for pauses and things of that nature. You know, I honestly think that this is what, the, you know, this could be is a, um, a tactic to prolong the speedy trial, which, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an attorney. I don't understand the reasons why, you know, what are the pros and cons if the defense goes and asks for a uh, an extension on uh, on something, which I know that the courts will most likely give them. Uh, I don't know. Does that open up a can of worms for the state or something that they don't want? I don't understand that. I don't understand why they don't just do that versus trying to uh, do these weird motions to extend it. It doesn't make sense to me. And and, and I'll tell you why the the motion to dismiss the indictment. I'm not an attorney again, but it doesn't sound right. So let's look at the issues, right? Now comes Brian Cover by through his, uh, their attorney, Jay Weston, Logsdon, chief deputy um, lit litigation, and hereby moves the honorable court for an order either dismissing the indictment to this matter or treat it as pre, pre, uh, pretensement and remand for preliminary hearing before the magistrate. All right, so. Issues. The Idaho Constitution set the standard for uh, proof for the grand jury at beyond reasonable doubt based on plain language of the statute. Wait, they're saying that the standard for grand jury is beyond reasonable doubt. That's not true. That's never been true. I mean, I don't know Idaho rules, but if that's true, then some shit needs some stuff needs to change. Because that's that's I mean in Texas the the standard for proof for grand jury is not set at beyond reasonable doubt. Failure to properly instruct a grand jury as to its standard of proof is grounds for dismissal of the indictment. The grand jury was erroneously instructed with standard required for a presentment. Thus, the court could re, could treat the indictment as uh, presentment. Okay, so here's the argument in layman's terms, which is what I understood. The grand jury ought to find the indictment when all the evidence before them taken together, if unexplained or uncontradicted, would in their judgment warrant a conviction by trial jury. So here, here's the thing. A grand jury is not, in my understanding, um, is not where you go above and beyond reasonable doubt. And that's what I understood when I read this argument. I was like, the grand jury is not for evidence above or, or that the standard is beyond reasonable doubt and not all evidence is required for grand jury. In fact, there's a statement that's out there. There's a saying that says you can, you know, indict a ham sandwich for a reason. And that's because you don't need all the evidence. It's not very difficult to get an indictment. Um, it's just enough information to say that, yeah, this person could have done this and that there is enough information to go to court. I don't think that this argument is going to fly. And, it's very similar to like, for instance, uh, some of the um, arguments that the that the defense has had. So I know a lot of people are looking at this and saying, 
oh, wait, the defense couldn't argue this if it wasn't true. That's not necessarily true. You know, they can argue as long as they their point of view and are working under good faith feel that they can articulate it as being true. Right. But like, for instance, there's several things that the state has stated, like on the alibi that we just spoke about, that there are court orders that saying merely saying you have an alibi does not construct as an alibi. Right. And so the defense has put out stuff out there already that the state has indicated isn't accurate, doesn't follow the code, um, isn't reading the rights or the, the code correctly. And, and it's not so much that I don't think they're reading it correctly as much as. Man, I think they're throwing mud on the wall and hoping something sticks. That's what it sounds like to me, because a grand jury does not have to have all the evidence in front of them. They're not presented all the evidence. Majority of the evidence isn't presented. In fact, I think the I think majority of the evidence that a grand jury is presented is what's in the probable cause affidavit for the most part. Right now, I've never been to a grand jury for a, a homicide or, or any of those type of things. So I have no experience in that. Um, but in my opinion. And correct me if I'm wrong, but. Grand jury doesn't get all the evidence. It's just not how it works. Uh, this statute ex was in existence at a time that the Idaho Constitution was adopted. In 1887. <laughs> oh, my God. They're using their arguments from the freaking 1800s. Yeah, I'm kind of glad I didn't read through all this and that you guys are seeing my actual response to this. All right, man, you know, for those that don't think this is mud being thrown on the wall. All right. Let's see what else is in here. In, in Clark, our Supreme Court found a statute in force at the time of our Constitution was ratified and controlling in its interpretation of Article One. In State v. Matthews of 1997, at least that's a, that's a century closer, our court considered the issues of whether the search warrants needed to be signed in order to be valid. The court found that the warrants do need to be signed or else a search warrant pursuant to a search warrant will violate our Constitution. The court arrived at the conclusion, despite the fact that Article 1 is completely silent regarding a warrant, whether a warrant needs a signature, the the reason the court was able to find constitution validation is in this case was by acknowledging that the state, which requires a signature uh, predated to the constitution of the state of Idaho because these state statutes, which require a signature on warrants predated the Idaho constitution. They create a substantive right, which exists prior to the adoption of the state's constitution. In 1978, our Supreme Court found a defendant was entitled to the constitutional relief for violation. Knock and announce after finding the rights contained in the statute were longstanding at common law and deeply rooted in their heritage. The Ranch Court was able to trace this deeply rooted heritage all the way back to 1603. Thus, whatever this language means, it must color the Constitution's or the court's interpretation of Article 1, Section 8. No person shall be held to answer for a felony or a criminal offense of any grade unless on, presump 
uh, on presentment or indictment of a grand jury on or information of the public prosecutor after the commitment by a magistrate except in the cases of impeachment in the case at cognizable by probate courts or by justice of the peace and in cases arising in the militia when in actual services in time of war or public danger provided that grand jury may be summoned upon the order of the district court in the manner provided by law and provided further that after the charge has been ignored by a grand jury, no person shall be held to answer for trial, therefore, upon information of public prosecutor. Uh, I'm just going to read the interpretation parts just because there's a lot of stuff in there that's, well, I mean, maybe not this. They're going based off some more stuff from the 1800s. The interpretation of the statute must begin with the literal words of the statute. Those words must be given their plain, usual, and ordinary meaning, and the statute must be constructed, construed as whole. If the statute is not ambiguous, this court does not construe it, but simply follows the law as written. We have consistently held that the statutory language is ambiguous. Legislative history and other extrinsic evidence should not be cons consulted for the purpose of altering the clearly express intent of literate of legislature. Um, let's see. I mean, there's a lot of these pages. Um, I don't know if I want to read all of them. Let me look through the, uh, the comment section. Let me go up real quick. I think they're tearing uh, it apart before trial because if it goes to trial, these screws, whether he's guilty or not, and they allow allowed all four score and seven years. <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, I'm not. It, it, look, I get it. You know, the Constitution was written a long time ago too, and you know, the Constitution is still true to this day, and, and things like that. I, I understand completely, but I've never seen a case where where beyond reasonable doubt was the standard for grand jury just i've never seen i've never even heard of that being a thing like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense it makes no sense and like like i said this this is just to me this looks like mud on a wall and let's see if something sticks but you know they want to do a preliminary hearing to me, I think that's just to extend the grand, you know, the, the speedy trial thing. And, uh, October 2nd is fastly approaching. And so uh, I don't I don't know. I'm strongly thinking that it's probably going to get extended. So for those that are trying to buy or purchase like Airbnbs or hotel rooms, I would recommend getting that insurance uh, if you're going to, you know, uh, that will protect you in case the, the case gets canceled and you have to move it further down the line. Cause I, I, I don't think that this is going to be there. Let's see. Um, the prosecution wasn't worried. Then they would have allowed the preliminary hearing. See, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, you know, um, worrisome or not like, you still got to go to trial. The preliminary hearing isn't going to. Um, like with the like, I get what you're saying to a certain extent. I just don't see like I, 
the grand jury is typically what they go through. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know courts. And the um, Lori Vallow case, which I, I'm not familiar with. Let me know in the comment section. Did she have a preliminary hearing or did she was she indicted? I honestly have zero clue. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think she was in Idaho, right? Yeah, she was in Idaho. And so um, let me know. I, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, 20 pages of BS. That's what it looks like. I'm not going to lie. That's what it looks like. I was wondering if the statement was referencing the judge didn't make the charges clear during grant. But even if that's the case, right, and they throw it out, then all they got to do, like, this doesn't force necessarily the state to do a preliminary hearing. The state can just file another grand jury indictment and uh and then the judge can make the charges clear at that point and then all it does is all right now we have to set a speedy trial six months from then and so it just prolongs the speedy trial thing that's that's all i'm seeing here and you know what i'm saying let's see uh the Idaho constitution does state grand jury must be on reasonable doubt the judge instructed them the two as was the lawyer bar it's bigger argument and really doesn't have to do with bk specific no i get that i understand that and you know it's just when it comes to you know this being the argument then you look at the other arguments that they've had uh, especially like the uh, alibi and how the state has responded to the alibi argument it's and and and, and the defense's own response to their, def their their alibi which is being well, we're not going to tell you until trial so that you can't you know um you won't be able to to investigate it to determine whether it's it's true or not it's i don't like it i don't like it it doesn't it doesn't scream innocence to me you know if he was in a different place saying hey i was in a two cities up north driving around i drove through this city go look at the cameras i'm there i'm there at, at freaking 405 go look at the cameras i'd be screaming that out loud i wouldn't be waiting until trial i'd want them to go find it i'd want them to go find it and so for me it's just I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, my dang. I'm trying to remove the comment. It's not working. So it tells me that my stream yard is actually. There it is. How did one execute a search warrant in 1877 on horseback, I believe? I, just, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> horseback. Oh, that's hilarious. Um. Y'all ain't bringing that horse in my cabin without documentation. Yeah. Um, right. And like I said, I mean, I'm not saying that the, that it's, it's not a defense. I'm just saying that I think it can be overcome. It's not something that's going to, even, even if the state agrees with, one, it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a preliminary hearing. And two, all they have to do is redo the grand jury, fix whatever mistake they may have made, and we're back to this point. Mm -hmm. Let's see. No matter if it's 1187 or 1983, it's the law, and it's the law in Idaho. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's 
It is, but like as I mentioned, it's just it's not something that's going to throw the case out. We're not going to see Brian Koberger free tomorrow because of this. You, even if this is the case, it's just another hurdle that's going to have to go through to prolong justice for the victims and their families and and things like that. That's just all it is. It all it is. And to me, I don't understand why an innocent person would like to prolong their time in jail because that's also what it's doing. If he's innocent. He's prolonging the time that he's in jail and, you know, come forward with the alibi, file a uh, dismissal based on that. And that's how you get him out of jail. Not want to wait till court. I mean, that's his goal, right? He's going to wait to show his alibi to court and he's not going to do that until. I don't know. I mean, it's, it just doesn't make much sense to me. Now I get it. They want to do the preliminary hearing, but they're not. That's not guaranteed, and the there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. There's no guarantee that whoever witness that that Koberger wants to bring up is going to testify. I mean, they they had a a supposed agreement with Bethany Funk to meet up with her and take her her. Um, her statement about what you know she knows because they believe that she had exculpatory evidence, right? And so they had dropped the the they had quashed her having to appear in front of the you know preliminary hearing. We also know that Enan Harsh got subpoenaed by the defense for the preliminary hearing. Now we've heard his story. I don't think there's anything that he says that's exonerating. You know, in fact, I think I think he he hurts Koberger because in his live with uh, Lena and Truth and Transparency or not his live with Lena's live that he was a part of. He mentioned seeing a white Elantra parked back there behind the victim's residence on multiple occasions and that he knew it was a white Elantra because his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend drove a white Elantra and he was suspicious about the vehicle. Thought it may have been his ex-girlfriend's, you know, stalking him. So I don't think that helps Koberger whatsoever. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, to me, it's a lot of mud on the wall. <clears throat> All right, let's, we'll go through some questions. And then um, I want to remind you guys tonight, we, we still have a live at 735. Um, we'll be doing a, uh, we'll be talking about the uh, Rex Humerman case. We're doing a timeline. Myself, Big Blue and Jaime will be on there. Uh, please hit that like and subscribe button if you're not already subscribed uh, or notified as well. J.R. Brown goes, why did the state say Idaho lab found the DNA when all we know now know that the lab was out of state? Now, that's not true. So what had occurred was that the Idaho lab did find the DNA. They did create a profile, an SRT profile. Then what ended up occurring was they ended up sending a sample of the DNA to Texas uh, to create a, a, a SNA or SPR or SNA, some other type of profile, right? And that profile was is used basically to uh, create a, a genetic tree to, to point to relatives, right? And um, what ended up happening is the FBI then took over that genetic tree building, did their own genetic tree, came back with the name Brian Koberger. Uh, the, the law enforcement then had to build their own case against Brian Koberger with that lead from the FBI. And then with uh, that case that they built, they, they, they gathered a, a search warrant to test Brian Koberger's DNA to 
his actual DNA from a buccal swab of his cheek to the DNA that was found on the knife sheath, which ended up being a match. So, um, no, it was not another lab out of state that found the DNA. I know that Howard Bloom's um, interview makes it sound like that. I even took it at, like that prior, but after documents have come out and um, other reports, it's pretty clear that that's not the case, that the only thing that um, that the lab in Texas and the FBI lab did was create that genetic tree or attempt to create genetic tree in the instance in, at, um, that, for that lab in Texas. And so, yeah, no, it wasn't found by them. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Well, they do think the firing squad is okay. So no time steam there. That's true, man. Mike, you make a great point. You know, they, the firing squad rules from 1887. Uh, maybe, maybe Yellowstone is more accurate than we think it is. You know what I'm saying? Uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to go through some of these comments. Any questions you guys might have or any, any part that I didn't read uh, that somebody else has read? You know, I haven't covered a lot of other, you know, I haven't been able to watch a lot of uh, many of the other YouTubers that are out there, or content creators that are out there. Uh, football season is starting. I cover the Steelers, so that's kind of taken a little bit of my attention. Um, also, you know, I I just don't follow everybody. There's just so much. But if there's something that somebody had mentioned in one of these pages that I just didn't read or see or understand, uh, point it out to me. I like to read it, go over and see what see what it says. Let's see. Uh, there are six men in Idaho on uh, D row. The longest serving is 37 years. It's not instant either. Oh, I think it takes decades. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Let's see. I've never seen a case <laughs> like says it all going further. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot in this case that it's just so crazy. But I think that if it wouldn't be so wild if the gag order was loosened a little bit. You know what I mean? If the gag order wasn't loosened a little bit, I think that it wouldn't be so wild. Speculation wouldn't be so crazy. Things like that. Prosecution is shook. I don't know. I don't know about that one. Roger the Dodger. Who's ever seen a case like this? Yeah, I mean, that's like I said, I think that if... If it wasn't for, you know, the gag order being so tight, I don't think this would be a case that's out of the ordinary. You know, to me, to be honest with you, the way they they figured this out was they had a guy who, you know, a lot of people would look at Brian Koberger and say things like, you know, um, he's a PhD student, he's smart, this, that, and a third. Would he be make be dumb enough to make those rookie mistakes or those dumb mistakes of taking his car, turning his phone on, doing all these things, right? Leaving a sheath behind. But the thing is, somebody left the sheath behind. Somebody drove a white Elantra there. Somebody left DNA on that sheath. Like, like you, you know, in, in that statement, 
people are are admitting that those are dumb mistakes and yet not 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 admitting the, the the most likely outcome when somebody makes those type of mistakes which would be they would get caught right you know if somebody makes those mistakes they would get caught i i just don't get how those two things exist or how somebody could be so dumb to do those things yet be so clever to it be you know confuse law enforcement into thinking it's somebody else a phd student nevertheless somebody you know that's not the most op- optimum fall guy in my opinion you know if you're going to go pin something like this on somebody i don't think you're going to choose someone who is very familiar with law and 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 criminology and forensics and, and the way things are investigated and law enforcement investigates people. It just doesn't make sense to me. I think you would choose somebody who, you know, has a history, has a, um, uh, you know, rap sheet of violent offense, drug history, things of that nature to do something like this. And I get it. Koberger had a, uh, a drug abuse problem when he was a teenager, but that that came to knowledge based on people that knew him. I don't think he has an arrest record for being in possession or distributing or any of those things to indicate that that's the kind of person that he was. So, you know, just because so just because he did those things doesn't mean that the court or law enforcement were aware of those things at the time of his arrest or at the time of, you know, um, they started to investigate him. Now, I'm sure during their investigation that may have came up and they could have found that out based on talking to people. But um, I don't think that was something that was a huge factor into why they thought it was him initially. You know, the way I feel that this case went down was they had a knife sheet, they had DNA on it, they had a bunch of DNA in the house, and they and law enforcement went out and did their due diligence and checked out everybody. I don't think it was just an eyeing in on Kuhlberger. You know, an indication of that is in the state's motion, they talked about, you know, the other DNA profiles being unknown, and they use a specific date of December 17th. And I find that to be um, interesting because as of December 17th, according to the New York Times article, law enforcement didn't have a Brian Koberger's name attached to one of those DNA profiles yet. That wasn't until December 19th. And so um, using the December 17th as a date to show that there was unknown profiles there is a little bit misleading, in my opinion, because none of those profiles were found. Now, had they said something to the effect like, you know, those were unknown at that point and till today, you know, not just unknown to themselves, but unknown completely. I think that's a bigger statement to say. And so, you know, I think that law enforcement did do their due diligence on everybody that was in that house. And per the FBI standard of procedures, um, they can't utilize that genetic tree unless there's no lead. Right. And it's only to create a lead. So if they had a lead of Brian Koberger, everything that they did could have been done at that point. Right. They, they didn't necessarily need the genetic tree to say Brian Koberger. So, like, if they had his name on November 29th, the way the probable cause affidavit states, and they suspected him of being a, a uh, you know, the person and they're not utilizing the genetic tree. um as evidence against them to get warrants. For instance, um, on all the search warrants and things of that nature, we're not seeing the genetic tree as a reason 
to get those warrants, right? So that that's not being utilized. So they could have used those same tactics that they did to get the warrants for historical phone pings and all those other things, his DNA, the whole nine yards, right? Uh, the discarded DNA pickup, all of that could have been done based on just that information they had on November 29th, but they didn't. They waited till December 23rd. That leads me to believe that they, they had his name, but they weren't looking at him as a suspect, right? And they had to build a case against him. And we would see that if there wasn't, you know, a gag order so difficult, we would see that, all right, they got his name. There's a case that's being built. What did they go in and figure out? What were his, you know, is there a connection to the victims? You know, we've heard the defense say there's no connection to the victims. But we also heard the defense say that they have an alibi and not want to put it out there and say that that, that alibi will be given at court. You know, the state has in, included not just in that situation, but in multiple situations where the defense is out of, out of not so much out of line, but not factual, inaccurate. You know, the alibi being one of them, merely saying you have an alibi does not constitute as an alibi. So, like I said, a lot of these motions and stuff don't get caught up on, you know, on either side, to be honest with you. Um, because until we see it in court, I don't, I don't think that anything we see is going to be, it's, it's going to be biased towards one side or the other, for sure. Let's see. Uh, I believe blue and silver. Oh, man. Let's see. Let's see. As far as anybody being banned off my channel, I asked him a question on my email. He hasn't answered me. When that guy answers the question, I'll consider it. Can defense ask for a change of venue? I believe so. Yeah. I think they, I think they should. I think that uh, Moscow, the area is too small. I think what they're doing, though, is they're, they're going to utilize the court system in Moscow, utilize um, the jail system so that he has access to, I guess, you know, lawyers and things of that nature. I think his lawyer is not from Moscow, though. Uh, but they're going to utilize that court system. But I believe they're bringing a jury from a different place. Let's see. You don't agree with your buddy, Lana, that I don't. And, and I, I respect her, you know, and she's a, um, yeah, she, she puts out good content. She's got some good information, you know, the body cam footage, things of that nature. But, you know, I don't agree with her. I don't agree with a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of people that have gone on their show. They've come on my show that, I don't I don't necessarily like agree with their point of view. It doesn't mean I disagree with them completely with everything that they say or, or talk about. Not at all. Or that I don't like them or, or I disrespect them or any of those things. You know, I, I just to me, I think that, you know, the police got their guy. I think he is the correct dude based on the information and the evidence that's out there. Uh, do I think that there's enough to convict this dude, you know, beyond reasonable doubt today? Probably not, you know, but I also think that we haven't seen all the evidence that's out there, you know, but I'm also one 
you know, just to clarify that um, if more information comes out, you know, one way or another, I, I'm not one that's going to hold my my thoughts just because um, court hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. You know, Rex Huberman is a big example of that. I think that guy is 110 percent guilty. He hasn't gone to trial. He hasn't gone to court. But I've seen the evidence that's been used against him or, or being brought up. And maybe perhaps that's a reason why, you know, people don't want information out there because it's not fair. People have this judgment against somebody. I guess that's true. But if it's real, it's going to come out. It's not like, oh, man, we can't tell people about this because it's not real. You know, his searches are what his searches were. You know, what they found in his house or what they found, the picture of Rex Humerman and a... um you know, the surveillance picture of him in a in an area where a burner phone was purchased later to be used to, you know, contact victims and torment the families of victims. It's there, you know. So is he the only person involved? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I don't know. But it's the same thing. You know, I, I think he's guilty. And if something were to come out in Brian Koberger case, like, for instance, they were to find a weapon. And they come out and say, hey, we found a weapon and it was, you know, in this area. And there's also touch DNA on Brian Cover, a Brian Cover ground weapon. I'd say he's 100 percent guilty. I don't care if he's gone to trial or not. But that hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen that. So I, I, I say I'm about 70, 70 percent saying, you know, thinking that he did it, which, like I said before, that wouldn't be a guy in jail right now. That'd be a guy walking freely. But as I said, I don't I don't know all the information either. Uh, Daniel's reading American history. Let's see. I agree with the throwing. Um, you see, Blue Flame, the, the problem is. When you, and I think you might be mistaken what a grand jury is. In grand jury, there isn't arguments or anything. It's just the evidence that's placed there, right? So it's very one-sided. Like, there's a statement out there saying you can indict a grand, you can indict a ham sandwich for a reason. You don't need much. And I don't think there's much reasonable doubt, to be honest with you. I mean... there's reasonable doubt within the evidence when you break it down, right? Like for instance, if you were to look at solely his phone being off and not account the historical data on his phone pings, not account for the white Elantra not having a a front license plate, not accounting for his DNA being on the sheets, not accounting for, you know, all those things together, just solely his phone being off. Is that enough to convict him? No. Uh, if you take that out of context, out of the out of the equation and just solely look at the vehicle having no front license plate, no, it's not. You take that out, just solely having his DNA underneath the sheet, no, it's not. You know his historical data of him being in the area, no, it's not. But when you put all those things combined, right, and you're like, like in order for it not to have been him, we are to believe some elaborate story of how his phone died and was 
somehow charged and turned on after the murders and before the murders, um, that he just so happens to go on drives, that there just so happened to be his DNA on the sheath, and that his vehicle just so happened to match the same car that's in the area, and it just so happened that both vehicles don't have a front license plate. Like, there's just so many just so happens there uh, that it's a very strong circumstantial case. And, you know, that's what it is, circumstantial. But it is very strong, in my opinion. Let's see. Uh, More is coming. I hope so, because they really haven't said much, to be honest with you. Let's see. Mm. Dateline equals sources, PCA equals big questions, the trial equals mistrial, true fair justice for BKMKEX and families, amen. Like, I, I agree, true justice for Brian Koberger. I, I hope he gets all the justice that he deserves. I agree with this statement. True justice for Brian Koberger. To me, all this is just making him all more guilty. I mean, to me, that's the way it seems to. Like, I haven't seen anything that the defense has put out there that's like, oh, okay. All right, that's something. There's been like hints like, oh, he's got an alibi. Oh, we got a witness that has some exploratory evidence. Oh, we got this, we got that. But when it's it's like, all right, let's 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 see this. Let's see it. Put it up. Oh, we gotta wait. We gotta wait. We gotta wait. Or um, oh, you know, let's let's do something else. Nah, man. Let's see. Uh... Okay, so my it's not bring it up, but round round robin says maybe he's planning to sue the state of Idaho and the city of Moscow for wrong imprisonment. And this is the foundation to build that upon. Well, he could have done that after a few days in jail. It doesn't need to be in jail this long. I mean, it's a, it's a huge risk because that's he, you're banking on that 12 people you don't know are going to find you, or at least one person out of these 12 people that you don't know is going to say that you're, you're not guilty. Right. Uh, that's a lot of banking because he's banking on going to court to for his alibi at least, right? And that, that's going to be brought up in court. I don't know. I mean, knowing, especially now, that there's a possibility you're not going to be able to utilize um, an alibi, right? That if he doesn't produce one before court, that they're not going to allow him to use one in court uh, unless, you know, he goes up there and testifies on his own half, right? Um, I don't. I think that's a big-ass risk because if they don't let him and he doesn't get to utilize whatever possible alibi he may have, he can go to jail and face a firing squad, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's worth the risk. I would be putting out everything I could. I agree with you, Lola. Defense aren't happy that the grand jury made a decision based on their own thoughts. 
Yeah, that's true. I don't think he has an alibi defense just attack the DNA and the officers. See, here's the thing. They're not really attacking the DNA per se. You know, they're not attacking that it's not Brian Koberger's DNA. The only attack on the DNA is that it was so-called planted. Right? Which, when could it have been planted and by whom is the question that I have. Right? Like, we know that there was a lot of departments that were involved right away. You know, um, I was reading one of the articles. I think it was a New York Times article and it indicated that Fry had stated that he had contacted the FBI and Idaho State Police immediately after finding out the severity of, of the incident, right? Who, who, who would have had opportunity, time to have planted this with, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I mean, does things do things get planted? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, OJ, I think, had something planted. The making making a murderer guy, that dude claims that something was planted. And I'll say there's there's more that that does look a little bit iffy. Right. You know, how long it took for some of those things to be found or whatever. I get that. I get that. But from all indications, this item was found when they went through there. It was underneath the body. So, you know, I know there's some questions. Oh, was it looked from the door, you know, afterwards, you know, things like that. I don't know. I want to wait until court to figure out all that. Let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna scroll all the way down to the new questions because I'm way behind and then I'll scroll up. That's one too. Someone had his phone. Like it's just it's too many, too many coincidences has to happen, right? And you know, I know a lot of people were telling me because I, I get this a lot like, oh, yeah, Daniel, you were. Uh, and this will be probably the last thing before I, I let everybody go. But they'll say, hey, you said that if there was no DNA in the car, that you would think he was he was innocent. And I was like, I, I said that, there would, that would be a big hurdle. There would be a huge problem with this case is exactly what I had said. Never said he would be innocent. You know, that's the first thing. I don't know. I, I I wouldn't put a guarantee on that, right? And second, I allow evidence and information to sway my thoughts on any case. If not, if, if, if I stuck to one thing that I said a long time ago, that's sticking to a narrative. I would look as, you know, that's how people end up looking how they do when they still claim that Ron Logan was responsible in the Delphi incident, right? You know, don't give up their narrative. Even after Richard Allen has been arrested, has had made a couple of confessions. There's a pretty strong probable cause affidavit, in my opinion, against him. There's good evidence against him there. Yeah, you have some folks that, because they made a statement that they thought it was Ron Logan, and, and they're trying to stick to that narrative. I don't do that. I'm not going to follow that same same line of thinking. I follow the evidence and, and whatnot. 
we had a, um, a forensic investigator, medical logical, medical legal death investigator um, on the show. And I had asked her, is there a way to, you know, clean a, a vehicle without leaving evidence of DNA? She said, yeah, if the person knows what they're doing, they definitely could. There are certain stain removers that are out there that can do some, you know, something like that. And also she mentioned something about the preparation, you know, preparing the car, you know, knowing if you, somebody knows, especially if they are smart or they are educated in the field um, and know how to protect the scene, the preparation of that car would be also key. I mean, they could have prepared it with plastics or he could have prepared it with plastics or whatever the case may have been uh, so that it wouldn't get full of, DNA. So there. So with that said, I, I don't know. But I will say this: that before that came out, I was probably around eighty-five percent sure that Koberger did this. Since the DNA situation didn't come out of his vehicle, I'm at seventy. So my thoughts on him, his guilt, it did impact it quite a bit. You know, about 15% of what I think, you know, how it was. Had DNA come back that there was somebody's, you know, one of the victim's DNA in the car, it would have been 100% that he was guilty. There would have been no question in my mind at that point. And so I follow the evidence. The evidence, if it shows one way, I'll follow it there. And right now, I honestly haven't seen much that says he's innocent. All I see is the defense coming out with ways to get him off on a technicality. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think they had <laughs> that's it's possible. Uh, TNT on the jury. I don't know. I didn't watch it. I, I saw the. Uh, I was watching the. Uh, I'll, I'll finish it off with this. I was watching the net. I think it was Netflix that did the OJ series, like uh, Netflix series. Now, obviously, I knew the outcome, but my father had um, had uh, while I was watching it, he came into my room and he was like, "Hey." Um, um, they find him innocent at the end. <laughs> so he, just, <laughs> he tells me he tries to, you know, do a spoiler or whatever. But it was funny because I was like, "Well, no crap." I was like, "Yeah, Dad." And in the Titanic, the boat sinks. And so, <laughs> uh, well, I'll leave you guys with that uh, tonight, y'all. We're gonna be um, me, Hyman Blue, will be talking. We'll be doing the uh, Rex Humerman case. I'm gonna leave you guys with. Uh, you know, information on uh, we're still giving away this quilt. If you guys aren't um, aware, I'm going to play the video uh, for the, the commercial on the quilt. There's still time to get involved in the raffle. It's to help out um, mine and my wife's little. We have a little Frenchie who has IVDD and he's um, got some disc issues. It resulted in him not being able to walk with his back legs for a while. He's gone through surgery. He's gone through rehab. It's it's helped them out a lot. There's may have been a small setback. We're not sure yet, but um, reamping up the um, acupuncture stuff and, and the rehab for them. Uh, for those that uh, that laugh about acupuncture on dogs, uh, the reason why it happens. So because um, I've had a couple of people in the comment section do that is what happens with IVDD is that there's a inflammation around the, the vertebrae of the disc and it can cause that disc to move and could cause the paralyzation and what the acupuncture does is it lowers the inflammation around the disc 
thus lessening the pain that the dog has in or the puppy has in his body and also the um it, it lowers the chances of him having another disc um come out of place and him rehabbing the you know losing his ability to walk again so um i know to some folks it may have been funny it wasn't to me um but um it's what's needed for him and you know it's we're not asking for money we're not begging for money um we're going to give a raffle away and there's an entry for a raffle and so this this quilt is probably worth a few hundred dollars it's not a cheap quilt so we'd appreciate you guys if if, if you guys would consider it with that being said we're the drunk turkey show we'll see you guys tonight peace out this is our little frenchie nelson nelson was the runt of his uh litter and unfortunately he is diagnosed with IBDD, which resulted in him losing the ability to move his rear legs. Now, we were left with a couple of options, one being put Nelson down or two, go through a costly uh, surgery, which wasn't guaranteed to work. We gave Nelson that chance and we went through the surgery. And fortunately, today he can walk and you know, he's not 100%, but he's getting there you know, through rehab and continual rehab. We think he may. Those bills are extensive and continuous. In efforts to lower that financial strain, we've decided to do a raffle. This raffle is going to be of a 4x3 handmade quilt. This quilt was actually made by my mother-in-law. And so, high quality. I uh, think you'll love it. It's a rescue-themed quilt. So how do you enter? There is a $5 entry to get into the raffle. All entries will be through Cash App dollar sign drunk turkey show to enter in the description make sure you put your shipping address and your name if you want to put in multiple you can do so you can send in for instance 25 and also put in the description five entries the raffle will be on august 28th the winner will be chosen at random by a uh, wheel selector don't need to be present on the live good luck thank you